spirit so let's break it down my people come gather around it's time to break free no longer will we be bound by these generational curses and circumstances we only moving forward progressing major advances see nothing that we speak in is facetious you gotta see yourself the same way to say you sees us he came down from his throne room to free us you 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 know we had to cap it off with jesus it's like hey 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 you know we had to cap it off with jesus y'all know how we y'all know what it is y'all know exactly what it is edge life hey listen we are super super excited to to be with you all yet again the edge life according to that's that's what we call this segment when we bring on some of our special friends some of our special guests and and really just take you behind the scenes as we talk to people with faith-filled stories and we share how how they move the culture. So what is going on, our audience? And hey, I I, I got to pause and say, what is going on to this fine, beautiful woman beside me? What's going on, honey? How you doing? Today? You know, I'm hitting up the fofo today, little fofo. <laughs> 44 years on this earth. So I just thank Jesus for each and every one of them. And I believe I'm way better in my 40s than my 20s and my 30s because I bumped my head a few times. <laughs> but praise Jesus, I'm still standing, right? Yep. This is my favorite. I love that we're recording this, um, you know, episode yeah. on my birthday because it's my favorite podcast series. Yeah. Is the according to because we get to connect with people actually we get to connect you our listeners with people um, that we know um, admire love and um, have them inspire you the same way they've inspired us with their faith-filled stories of how they're moving the culture for Jesus That's right what I'm talking about that and, and who better to move the culture for you know what I'm saying what? I, I get excited about that now, now I, I will say this. Uh, first of all, happy birthday to you, my my, my princess. You. You, you are so awesome. You have been holding me down for so long. So, by the way, not to correct you in mm-hmm. front of everybody, but I'm the queen. Oh, but you know what? I stand corrected. You may have said princess because I look so young. So That's I'm gonna what take it, is. it like that. You are young, but I must say you have treated me like a queen today. Come on, somebody got Come me on. a steak. That's what I'm talking about. And my favorite about. cake, even in the midst, you guys, of sheltering in place. So we want to thank Ooh. everybody who is out. You know, essential people um, still serving our community from people who do food service. Um, our trash is still getting picked up. You know, all the things that we take for granted. And right. shout out to um, healthcare workers and my brothers and sisters in blue, um, those that are in law enforcement. We appreciate you guys, all of you essential. You know, uh, pray for your non essential folks. We ain't all right. We ain't all right. We homeschooling our children and working from the house. No, actually, yes, I am Lord. working nonprofits. I am essential, but yes, you know, Lord. I'm yes, trying to Lord. keep it at the house. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I, I tell you, I tell you, it, it is something, but but God is still good. And, yes, He is. And and regardless of what we see going on, man, I, I'm just so thankful that we get the opportunity to wake up every single day and know that um God gave us an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? We did. And we want to talk about the opportunity that God has given and shown and continues continues to present through a special person's life. Our yeah. guest today, right? Our, our, our guest today is, is an amazing, amazing man. Um, he is a pastor, a speaker, a leader, um, and he has an amazing, amazing story. Um, I, I'll share uh, a little bit later on um, just even how we kind of, how I even found out about him because I've, I've probably uh known about our guests it, it hasn't even been six months probably that i've known about our guests but um today for 
this audience, He's we, we, we are bringing on none other than Dr. Lamar Hardwick. Dr. Hardwick, how you doing today, sir? Um, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Um, doing, doing great, all things considered. Yes. Um, mm. So thank you all for having me on. Well, well, thank you for being on. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the amazing thing about um, Dr. Hardwick is he, he has a moniker that he, he has been given called the autism pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and many of you know our story um, with our, our son, Kai, um, who is on the autism spectrum. And, and we, we talk about, you know, Kai and, and, and the awesome testimony that, that he is every single day. And we, we talk about yeah. him on, on, on the podcast a whole lot. Those of you who haven't met him probably feel like you know him. <laughs> Sometimes if you're watching us on video, he just shows up out of nowhere. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Hardwick, if, if you could, could, could you just share with the audience just a little bit about you, about, about your background, um, so that they can get a better understanding as to who you are? Okay, I'll um, give you the abbreviated version. Um, uh, As you said, I'm a husband. Uh, My wife and I have been married um, 19 years. Uh, We have, yes. You got to give it up for 19 years. We have three uh, beautiful boys, ages 14, uh, 11, and a soon-to-be 7-year-old. uh, and so, uh, in addition to that, I, as you said, I'm also a pastor. Uh, I've been in ministry, wow, two decades now. Awesome. Um, Twenty years I've been in uh, in ministry. Uh, also, an author. Uh, I've written uh, two books. A third one is slated to release in the fall. Awesome. Um, and then just a um, uh, speaker. I travel a lot and speak and. Um, I like to say that um, I'm a creator of inspirational content. Wow. I think that's what it. God has called me to do. I love it. I love it. And, and, and Dr. Hardwick, for, for the for the audience who who are listening, if if they have never heard of you, heard of what you do, can can you briefly tell them about your story and your journey? Um, you know, I, I know when we sat down and we talked. I mean, my my mind was blown. My eyes were wide open as we you know, kind of shared and chopped it up. So could you share with the audience just, just briefly about, you know, your story and your testimony and how, how we kind of got to this place? Sure. Um, so um, I guess I'd start with, um, uh, I was diagnosed um, on the autism spectrum at age 36. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So, um you know, growing up, I, I always knew that um, there were some differences between me and other children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mother records. Um, after my diagnosis, we did a lot of um, going through history. And my mom and my older sister shared a lot of stories about me when I was younger. Uh, you know, things like uh, my mother actually had to stop working mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she had me because she couldn't leave me with anyone. I would cry literally for six, seven, eight hours at a time. Wow. Um, <clears throat> was always sort of labeled the shy kid. Didn't didn't really talk. Um, interestingly enough, I don't know when I actually started talking. Mm. Um, so you know, whether or not there were um, speech delays, um, it's still 
sort, sort of a mystery. Mm. Um, and then my mother also says, you know, in reflecting that she had a uh, either a second or third grade teacher tell her uh, Lamont is very smart for there's something wrong with him and I can't figure it out. Mm. Uh, and so um, not really intellectual delays, mm -hmm. um, but socially um, lots of challenges um, to the extent that where sometimes teachers and adults thought I had intellectual delays mm -hmm. um, most. Uh, and so <clears throat> I sort of just made my way through. By the time I got to middle school, you sort of learn. Um, I didn't know what was cool, but I knew what not to do. Right, uh, right. To, to, get, uh, to keep from being bullied and singled out. And so um, a lot of times in the autism community, um, people refer to that as masking. And so right. um, just because I'm observant, I think I just learned how to get along to go along. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, but, but those challenges were always there. I always heard things like, uh, you sound like a robot. You look mean. Um, just things that kids would say about your um, lack of social skills, I guess. Right. Uh, without them having adult language to put it in. Uh, so fast forward, you know, I struggled a lot. Was still able to uh, make it through school. Interestingly enough, I don't know if many people know this. I was actually uh, kicked out of high school. Really? Wow. Um, well. Yeah, because I wasn't going to school. Uh, <laughs> so, gotcha. uh, I I realized it's your school I realized now it was Yeah, I, I realized now that it was a challenge, um, sensory wise, going from middle school to high school. Mm -hmm. Uh so by lunchtime I was done. I just didn't go back. Uh, and thank God for my mom who fought to get me back into school. Right. Um, after getting a letter that I was declared truant. Mm. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I think the thing that saved me was I did all the work. I just didn't go to class. Wow. wow. Uh, so I wasn't failing. Uh, I found out when tests were. I did my homework. I had it sent in. Uh, I just didn't go to class. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I made it all the way through to college. Um, things got a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, um, I was at a previous church that I was um, the youth pastor and my predecessor uh, resigned and mm -hmm. I was being considered to be the lead pastor. Uh, this was in 2011 or 2012. And I started to hear a lot of the same things that I heard kids say about me when I was younger, except it was now coming from adults. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he walked, he walked past me, didn't speak. He's not very social. He looks angry. Um, and then uh, at the time I was with my doctorate, I had to ask seven people who were close to me to do an observation. It was for a class of leadership, and we mm -hmm. had to do several different personality assessments. An older gentleman who was, who was then the associate pastor of the church, uh, who I really respect, wrote, uh, Lamar has a difficult time picking up on social cues. Lamar gets laser focused on one thing at a time. Lamar this, Lamar that. And it literally read like a diagnostic criteria. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Um, so at the time I actually had no idea what social cues meant. Mm -hmm. And so like most people, I Googled it when <laughs> right. you don't know what something is. <laughs> right. Uh, right. and that sort of opened the door to this whole world of 
um, other people discussing these things, Asperger's or autism level one, whatever the conversation was Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And um, ironically, uh, at the time, my wife works for the CDC at the time, uh, several years ago, she was actually working in the autism study. Wow. Uh, Oh, my goodness. So after about a year of me doing my own investigation, I finally got the courage to go to her and say, I think I know what's going on with me. I think I know what some of our challenges are. I think I know why people seem to have issues with me that I could never figure out why. And um, she helped me find someone uh, who would diagnose adults. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after several meetings and several assessments uh, in December of 2014, I was officially diagnosed on the spectrum. So Dr. Harwick, I have to just ask you, just pause at that moment. So what does that mean for an adult who has lived 36 years of their life? You know, obviously you've, you were reflexive, um, after the point Mm -hmm. of the diagnosis, but what did diagnosis mean for you at that time? I mean, yeah, so I usually tell people that, um, on one hand it was a sense of relief, Mm -hmm. um, because now I tell the story, but um, you know, I could take weeks to tell you how, uh, how difficult the road was. And so I've, I've had a lot of successes, but they were hard, rough successes. Yeah, right, I can right. imagine. Um, so in some, on one hand, it was a relief because there was finally, uh, a language for what I had always been struggling with, but mm, couldn't that's good. explain to people. Right. Um, it's almost like when I, I tell people when I was, I think first or second grade, uh, the teacher told my parents that, no, I think I understand what's going on with your son and his work. I think he can't see. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they got, they got me glasses. And so the question was, why would, why didn't you tell him when you couldn't see the board? And my answer is, I thought all people saw that way. Wow. Yeah, so that's good. You, you didn't, you didn't know that you weren't seeing properly. You just thought that's how eyes work. It was right. kind of the same thing with, with being on the spectrum. I didn't know how to explain to people something that I didn't know that everyone else didn't experience. Wow. That's so amazing because our son, you know, they always say he needs glasses, but he says he doesn't need them because he, he can't see when he wears them. His, yeah, he, his, um, his distance, um, his depth perception more so is off. Uh, for him when he does wear them. So that's so interesting because, you know, Kai is on the other um, end of the perspective, uh, the other end of the spectrum. Um, and so a lot of times it's very hard for him to, even after he has a revelation to be able to communicate exactly because he does have um, some lower, lower IQ issues. Um, so that it's so interesting to hear you say things that we can relate to. Yeah. Um, it's really just amazing. But, you know, I don't know if Philip shared, but I work with adults that live with serious mental illness and that diagnosis mm-hmm. usually comes later in life. And so for me, that, that just sparks a curiosity. Um, and I can imagine it's somewhat freeing, but then at the same time, I can imagine once that label is placed upon you, which that's what a diagnosis is, and mm-hmm. then stigma begins to come. How does, how does that impact you? How do you begin then working through that? You're fighting through things you don't understand what they are. And I just want to tell you that the Holy Spirit just kept saying the word resilient over and over again. Just a resilient mm-hmm. man. There's a resilience inside of you. But how mm-hmm. do you, how do you, 
how do you embrace that then? You know, the diagnosis and now I have stigma, you know, it's just like another fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, while there was some relief, um, I think there's probably more guilt. Mm. Um, wow. And that's not popular to say, but that's just the God's honest truth. Um, I just started to immediately feel guilty about every interaction, every relationship, everything that I did um, unknowingly that may have cost me a relationship or, you know, because I've always had people that I thought, you know, I interacted with well with or um, that we were friends and I never got a chance to know what happened. Right. and so, honestly, it took me about two years after my diagnosis to sort of work through that. Um, I tell people that it was like meeting myself for the first time. Oh, wow. Who I thought I was as far as what I was presenting to the world was not what most people was experiencing. And so, um, and I think we probably had this conversation uh, when we met. Philip, when I said that, it caused me to ask the question, what do people experience when they experience me? Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 Dr. Um, Hard- and Dr. Hardwick, just, just real quick, you, you, you shared a story with me um, when, when we actually sat on and met about um, an interaction that you had as the youth pastor and, and one of the children there. And then you shared another mm-hmm. story with one of your wife's you know, friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think you know, those two stories kind of tie into kind of where we are right now. Can can you mm-hmm. can you articulate those stories a, a little bit? Yeah. So um, one was um, someone that I worked with at my uh, previous church. This was years ago, and um, there just seemed to be this friction or this inability to connect with them as a youth pastor. And uh, for years, that particular child just would not engage in the ministry. Uh, that I was doing there and their ministry was growing. Um, I think I tell people that one of the reasons why I did so well with teenagers is because we're all socially awkward. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so, so I just attracted all the kids that nobody else wanted to hang with. Oh, um, praise Jesus for uh, that though. <laughs> yeah. Which, but it built a pretty, pretty great ministry, but mm. I just, I never could figure out, um, come to find out there was, this is years later, came to find out that apparently I had run into this person at, in Walmart with their mom. And because sometimes, um, but most of the time I have uh, challenges with my body language, doesn't mirror uh, the environment. Some, sometimes I, you know, it, I, I may look mean and I, I don't know that I look that way. Right. Um, you know, just not understanding, picking up on social cues, those types of things. And apparently this kid was excited about the youth pastor. And I guess what they experienced was it felt like I was blowing them off. And so it just never, uh, it just, it was just never right between myself and this individual and that family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just never knew. And, and the other story was the same way. Um, just having a birthday party for our oldest son and a, a friend of my wife brought their children there and, um, she ended up writing years later after seeing some of my articles online, um, apologizing mm. to my wife because she, I never saw them after that party mm-hmm. again, but she, uh, apologized to my wife after reading my article and said, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I thought we, the party was great, but I thought your husband was a jerk. And mm. here I am thinking, 
I thought it was the best party ever. I thought I totally crushed it. And it was (laughs) (laughs) but those things happen and I just never know who I've offended or rubbed the wrong way. And so that's a large part of the reason why I disclosed my diagnosis to my church in the world. I didn't want someone because the church was growing, people enjoy my preaching, but when I stepped off the stage, I just was not you know, the type of person they expected me to be. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and then following my predecessor, who was just really a larger-than-life, very charismatic, extroverted person, and then here I am, this guy who was very fiery <laughs> on the stage. But other than that, people didn't know that I could talk at all. Right. Um, and it just, it was a real struggle. And so I said, you know, I don't want someone to come to the church, have an interaction with me that I'm not aware did not go well. Right. Um, and so that's sort of where the whole um, me sort of becoming more of a public figure. The more I talked about it, the more people started referring me to the autism pastor. And mm-hmm. that sort of brought us to where we are today. That's really so awesome to just, you know, embrace it. Because usually a diagnosis is uh, a diagnosis is something that, you know, people, you know, try to hide or um, mm-hmm. to not share with the world. But um, I totally... I totally understand it. You, you said the word guilty. Um, it was totally not the word that I that I thought of how you might feel after diagnosis. That's just wow. And then another thing that you well, said. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say when when you are and I and I wrestled with this. So yeah, this happened when I was diagnosed. I I continued to see my therapist for two years after she diagnosed me because um, I really had to work. So my wife and I both went to work some of things. And I think part of that was when you grow up your entire life mm-hmm. being made to feel like you're the reason why people don't like you, you just internalize mm-hmm. it. Wow. And sure. so I don't, I don't know that it's, it was a new feeling. I think it just triggered all the years of my life where I was always made to feel like the weird one, the one who wasn't good enough, the one. Right. And so now it's like, oh, now I have to relive all that all over again. Mm-hmm. But now I'm an adult. Um, and so that's, I think that's where the guilt came from. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that. And the, the other word that you said, um, which kind of leads us kind of into next kind of set of questions, you talked about connection and, you know, we always talk about how everything associated with Jesus, he's, he's a relational, he's relational. Um, and obviously relation has been something for you um, that has been difficult your whole life. So talk mm-hmm. about where where did the connection, how did you connect with Christ and the church um, to establish that relationship with Jesus? What's mm-hmm. your Jesus story? Well, I grew up a uh, PK. So oh. My dad's a preacher, <laughs> pastor, so... One yeah. of those PKs. I, I, I had a feeling, yeah. but you know. Yeah, so I don't know that there wasn't a time that I was not in church, um, although it's very difficult. And I even talk about in my book some of my earliest memories uh, in the church, where it was it was obvious that I was made to feel different. Um, mm. You know, church is a very highly social environment, oh, but yes. I. I but I still had that exposure. Um, one of the things that I say often is that, you know, two things helped me kind of help carve out the path. One, my dad was a military man, mm-hmm. uh, and then he was a pastor. So we, we were raised 
with sort of this ethos of of being willing to give your life over something to something greater than yourself, right? Whether right. it was service to our country or serving in the church, so it was already ingrained in me. Sure. Um, and I think that it just really started to click for me when I hit um, college. Um, and there's really a long story to it, but ultimately, sort of my conversion story is uh, being in a very serious. I was always raised in the church. I had honestly, I had been baptized when I was like 16 or 17, which, which is really old when your dad's pastor. <laughs> yeah. I know. They're like, when that boy going to get baptized? Yeah. <laughs> we done so had that, 14 that, million altar calls. Yeah. When going to get baptized? Yeah. You're supposed to get baptized when you're like three. When you're yeah. Right? Yeah. And only one um, time, right? Cause you're the pastor. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and I, I tell people like, I, you know, I went down a dry devil and came up a wet one. I don't know that anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know that anything changed. Um, although I, I never doubted, you know, the authenticity of Jesus and all that. It just wasn't a hard connection mm-hmm. uh, until I, it was either my freshman or sophomore year in college and it was in a very serious car accident. Everyone walked away. Um, uh, and I don't want your listeners to freak out, but I, I heard God, uh, sort of, it's like a Jonah story yeah. saying that everybody, everybody in this car's life is going to be impacted by your your bad choices and you're running away. And Mm -hmm. so I think, um, you know, the story Jonah got on the ship. Oh yeah. It wasn't until he got on the ship that everything started going bad Mm -hmm. and it wasn't. And at the time my then girlfriend, my now wife was in the car. I I think I've always had this thing where God, I'm compelled about how my choices impact other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if it was just me, I don't know that I, at that point in my life, um, I talk about this in my book. I, I was using a lot of drugs right. um, from my from my ninth grade, my freshman year in high school to my freshman year in college. I think a lot of it was it really, honestly, I didn't know how to handle the, the anxiety attacks and yeah. right. self medicating. Uh, self medicating exactly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but when I realized that my life had an impact on other people, that's how God got my attention. Wow. Um, and it was also sort of the first sense of me having a sense of him calling me to ministry because yeah. I knew if he was that serious about me living for him because it's going to impact other people, then that might mean he's trying to get me to do something that may impact other people's lives. Wow. Well, and, and it's amazing because you, you speak about impacting other people, and that's literally what, what the Lord was speaking to you. Um, I remember um, literally being at Walmart um, about six months or so ago, and I, I met uh, a family friend of ours who, who has a son who is also on the autism spectrum. And we ran into each other at Walmart, and if my wife will tell you, um, for whatever reason, ministry happens in Walmart for me. Usually when he's on an ice cream run. Yeah, on an ice cream run for whatever reason. But 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 it was amazing because I was having this conversation with this gentleman. His name is Andre Watson. Um, we're talking, and as we're talking, he asked me a question. He says, "Hey, man, have you ever heard of the autism pastor?" And and literally something lit up on the inside of me. I was like, "No, who is the autism? Who I, is I, this? Who you is speak this? Of? I, I've I've never heard of this person." So literally, he began 
telling me, you know, about your story. You know, obviously, you know, they've read your books, they follow your blog, they follow you on social media. And it was extremely um, um, intriguing to him with a child on the spectrum. And it was intriguing to me with a child on the spectrum. And and the craziest thing, and, and this is just a God story. Literally, um, I, I told him that day, I said, I need to find this autism pastor. Like, like that's what that's what I said when I left Walmart. I need to find this autism pastor. And I went, and I, when I got home, I got online, and I, you know, Googled. You you spoke about Google earlier, right? That's how that's how we find. I Googled, and I saw the autism pastor. Da, 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 started reading my information, and come to find out, you're at Tri Cities Church. And I'm scratching my head because I'm like, how in the okay, God, what are you doing here? Because the former pastor at Tri Cities Church, Wesley Bolden was the uh-huh. gentleman who who was our, our liaison with Stadia, the church planning group, when we um, assisted in planning Crossover Atlanta. So I'm uh-huh. sitting there, I'm like, this is all too crazy. Okay, God, you have to be in this. So literally, I reached out to Wesley and said, hey, Wesley, <laughs> how are you doing? You know, you're in Kentucky now, but what's going on? And I know Wesley was probably like, what do you want? <laughs> You're like, like this, this is all. but, but I finally got to the point. I said, Hey, can, can you make a soft introduction? And he did. And, and, you know, then obviously I reached out to you, you know, we, we said, we, we, we had coffee at Starbucks. It was some good coffee, by the way. Um, mm. but you talk about shameless it. Starbucks plug. Uh, yes. Yeah, they, they're not, they're not doing anything for us either, but my wife know, loves Starbucks. Right. right? So, but yeah. you, you talk about impacting people and, and literally, listening to mm-hmm. your story there in Starbucks, reading the articles and, and things o- online about you and, and your life and how um, you literally become an advocate for for others who are on the spectrum. You, you're giving voice to sometimes people who might even be voiceless. That right uh-huh. there is powerful to me. So, you know, one of the questions that, that I, I really want to ask you is, is literally how are you taking this gift and and as Come crazy on. as it sounds yes it, it it's it's a gift how are you taking this mm-hmm. gift and using that to impact and, and shift culture now that's a um great question um and, and so part of the other stage of diagnosis after i got through um sort of working through some of my guilt and relearning myself and and acquiring the language to explain to people um, how how I process things and and even explaining to people how you can get um, the most out of me. You know, I always joke, I'm only really good at two, two, maybe three things, but I'm really good at them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And if you stop trying to make me be something that I'm not, you can really get most of what God put in me That's awesome. uh, and mm. so what I learned through that process of, of going to my therapist and just really learning myself is that I sort of had a continuation to my call like I had already been in ministry for years mm-hmm. um, and it, it, a lot of it wasn't easy um, but I also realized that there's a larger calling now um, because I'm a pastor I can speak to this issue because a lot of a lot of my success, I really believe, was linked to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As difficult as it was, and sometimes as, a per- as imperfect as the church can be, I still feel like it's the most underutilized resource 
in the autism and disability community because mm-hmm. it did something for me. It, it did something for me that helped me to get where I am today, even before I knew my diagnosis. Yeah. So um, I, I realized that part of the, like you say, this gift was God gave me the gift of being able to see myself as he sees me and the mm-hmm. gift of being able to use my platform to speak into the heart of the church, which I'm, you know, people who know me know I'm a apologist for a local church. Mm -hmm. Um, But I see so many people, um, and we know the statistics, you know, not just autism, but other disabilities, whether it's physical, intellectual, developmental, the church has not made uh, enough room and enough roots for that community. Yes. And, you know, I, Everyone on the spectrum is different. We know the saying, if you met one person with autism, you met one person with autism. But I believe mm. um, that every person has the greatest potential in Christ. Yes. yes. And that can be found in the body. And I think that the church was born to include those on the margins. And so it became a calling for me, um, not just in the four walls of the church or churches that I was leading, mm-hmm. but to the world to say hey we've got a lot of work to do because i'm not saying that your child will be like me everyone's different but Mm -hmm. with the support of the church um i see so much more greatness that can be pulled out of individuals that have been sort of pushed onto the margins of not just society but even uh faith community so it it was a calling it really was it was just as much a calling as me feeling like God called me to pastor. Right. Yeah. So, so talk to us, talk a little bit more about that in the sense of what do you think the greatest challenge is bringing those people who are on the margins into the local churches? What do you see as the biggest challenge? Um, yeah, great question. I, I do a lot of work um, in my next book. So over the last several years, I've traveled in conferences and just taught, um, you know, theology of disability, inclusion, and what the Bible says about it, and Jesus healing people with disabilities, and why did he heal people with disabilities? Was it about um, fixing them, or was it about communicating something else? And so Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest uh, challenges, uh, I think, is that by and large, and this is Remember, I said I love the local church, but by and large, the local church um, doesn't have a really healthy understanding of um, disabilities and mental health. Um, And it's something that we don't handle very well, haven't preached very well, haven't sung about it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of it is sort of reorienting and reeducating the church. Um, You know, what, what does the Bible really say about it? What does what you know how can we make sure that we are communicating um that disability does not um disqualify people from also being created in god's image mm-hmm. um and even in so so quick story you know you remember the story of the man born blind and the disciples as jesus yes. um mm-hmm. who sinned the man or his parents, which, which, by the way, is a ridiculous question. So ridiculous. Right. Come on. Um, because how much sinning could he have done yeah. at the time truth. of birth that 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, if he, if he was born blind, he couldn't have seen that much. Like, he just got here. So, <laughs> Give the guy a pass. Come um, on now. <laughs> yeah. But but Jesus, I love Jesus. He flips the question. Mm. Um, and I'm paraphrasing. This is sort of my, I say this in my, this is the PLT, Pastor L translation. <laughs> um, like it. Je- Jesus doesn't say, you know, the question is not why can't the man see? The real question is how can God be seen? Mm. Um because he says that the man wasn't born blind because of sin. He was um, somehow God's ability to shine through him is connected to his disability. And I think we need to, we need to make the church understand that, that having a disability of any degree or anywhere on the second you lie with anything is not a disqualifier for reflecting the image of God. And And I honestly think we know that in, uh, in theory, but it's not practiced yes. in the church the way that it should be. I, I totally agree. It's not practiced. It's not embraced. And I always tell, I go to talk to a lot of churches and I get up behind the pulpit and I let them know that people with mental illness have been demonized by the church. You should see the looks on their faces. But anyways, I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta come hard sometimes to face the stigma and, you know, mm-hmm. to, um, infuse, um, the darkness with some light and some truth. And, and I agree yeah. with you. There, there is a huge opportunity um, for us to bring people, however people have been marginalized into the local church, because the local church ultimately is the answer. Um, and the local church is supposed to be the solution for everything, including the problems yeah. that we have with stigma and mental health disabilities. So um, that's awesome. What is the name of the next book like tell everybody please shameless plug come on um so right now the name of the book is um disability in the church a vision for inclusion mm. uh and it's um on intervarsity press so um i'm actually right now working through like the last set of edits um and just really so you know it's there's a lot of practical stuff I, but i also talk a lot of theology i mm. think we don't have a very we don't have a very good idea of it um, and what it means. And quick, quick uh, story you talk about stigma. I remember uh, years ago I had someone um, approach me from my previous church to say that they sort of had, and this is a short version, it ended up being a three-hour conversation, but they had basically had a problem with why I would um, allow myself to be labeled. They didn't like that. Online yeah. is seeing autism <laughs> pastor, autism pastor. Why would I? And my response to them is that it's only a problem if you think those two words don't go together. Wow. Mm. Wow. Oh, my wow. goodness. Um, and really, that's your issue is you think that a pastor shouldn't Come on. have autism or somebody with autism can't be used by God. Um, but God told Moses, I didn't I make your mouth? Come on. Man. I know exactly what I did. Yes. Um, and God never denies what Moses identifies as his disability, mm. but what God does say is, I'll be with you. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when Paul and my my last book, I Am Strong, is based on Paul's um, wrestling with his thorn, and he says in the end, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Mm. But one of the things that I share with this person is, if you look at it, Paul says, you know, to keep me from becoming conceited. Yes. I have been given this thorn. Mm. And most scholars believe that it was actually some kind of physical disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Paul was going blind. That's why he had a scribe. Uh, we think he had epilepsy and some other mm-hmm. physical challenges. Uh, but he says that to 
keep me from becoming conceited. And what I teach people is, mm. you notice that Paul says his thorn is not what kept him from becoming the best version of himself. Mm. Wow. In fact, wow. in fact, he says my thorn is what keeps me from becoming the worst version yes. of myself. And so, we have what a I church. Tell is, <laughs> That's fire right there. You're speaking what my heart's been saying. Come on. Uh, uh, so, so what I tell people is if. if me being on the spectrum and you know i have challenges and there's lots of things that i've worked on over the years and there's something that's just never going to change but that's not what stops me from being the best version of myself mm -hmm. and so if if that doesn't stop me from being the best version of who god created me me to be then the church shouldn't stop me either mm, and on. so whatever my gifts are whatever it is jesus said um how can god be seen in the life of this man who was born blind stop asking the wrong question um and so that's a, that's a calling and, and i talk about a lot of that in my my next book is to really dig through some theology and even wrestle with how do we come to some of these erroneous assumptions mm -hmm. right right mm. wow i i mean i know when philip said oh he he calls himself his moniker is the autism pastor you know um I have been corrected so many times working in the field that I work in, you know, person first language, that's the world thing. But I mean, when you said that, that just really, wow. Yeah. I mean, Amazing. yeah, I don't really even have words for that right now. It's still settling um, in my spirit, but yeah, just embracing, yeah. embracing everything that, that God has given, yeah. you know, whatever it may yeah. be. And we've always had that outlook with Kai. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we know it takes special set of parents um, mm -hmm. for him to give Kai to us because we're able to steward over him and all of the needs that mm -hmm. he has that may be outside of what's norm, quote unquote. What is that anyways? What's typical? Right. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. That that really spoke to me. Wow. Wow. It, it, you know, I, I'll tell you, there's so there's so many things that. Um, you know, the, the Lord is allowing you, you to do even, you know, with us. Um, I'll share this quick story. Um, you blew my mind when, when we were sitting. I mean, uh, you said so much. But one of the things that, that you, you did, um, and I don't even know if you know you did it, you, you gave me a glimpse inside of a world that I have not been able to crack into. Mm -hmm. um, you made a statement. Um, you were talking, because, by the way, we're, we're inside of Starbucks, you all right? So, Inside of Starbucks, we're, we're having this conversation. Um, Dr. Hardwick is, is focused in on me, and, and he made the statement. He said, you know how we're talking right now, and, and you can focus in on me and what I'm saying. He said that, that for him, he said he hears everything that was happening in that store at 100. Like my, my, the way I'm wired, my, my wiring will tune things out and block things out. What he shared with me, he said, the way that I'm wired, I hear everything at 100, so I have to work very, very hard. And that, that little nugget right there gave me even some insight as to, like, like our son and, and how he experiences the world and how mm -hmm. j just, just from, from the standpoint of, you know, like things being extra loud and extra noisy and things like that, just how that could have an impact on, on, on his life. Um, can, can you share with, with the people just, you know, some little insights like that, that, that you've been able to share with, with the world 
um, to maybe even give them an insight into a, a world that they're not normally in, in, in inside of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, what I was, was talking about is probably the thing that is one of my greatest uh, invisible challenges mm-hmm. um, because it's not something that you can see. But again, I told you I worked with a therapist for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't, and so, you know, I think I said it to you, with, with, a lot of times I tell people, don't let this move taste fool you. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, when you experience me you know, on the other side of the diagnosis and, and really working through a lot of stuff, you see a very prepared, a very um, prayed up Lamar. more. Mm-hmm. So it takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, really I have to be very connected to my source, which is God and the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Um, to be able to do what I do. Um, and so, you know, the sensory is a huge thing for me. Uh, so what I was saying is like, um, the way I explain to people, I, and a lot of people on the spectrum have this to varying degrees. It's probably, I think for me, it's pretty severe um, because and I tell people, my brain has no EQ. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, typically wired brains can filter out um, background noise, white noise. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people is a lot of times at the church, if I'm in the lobby, if I'm somewhere like Starbucks or whatever, and it oftentimes it looks like I'm disinterested or not paying attention. It's not that I'm not paying attention to you, it's that I'm paying attention to everyone mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, I can hear everything. I can hear what's going on across the street. I can hear um, the fans. I can hear pins clicking, knuckles cracking. Um, and so and I can honestly hear every conversation. I can tell you what everyone's talking about. Um, and so, you know, when you're dealing with that 24 seven, it can be overwhelming. Yes. And and that's just not sound. It's also for me, smell mm-hmm. is very overwhelming. Um, I have a difficult time walking down the detergent aisle in the grocery yeah. store because I can smell all of the detergent. Yes. Um, and other thing that people don't talk about, and this is sort of one of the things that accounts for me with this, uh, pandemic is sensory processing or sensory overload is not just the five senses. Um, we talked earlier about death perception. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it also affects your sense of time, yes. timing, and space. And so I found that when I'm overloaded sensory wise, and I've learned to create margin. And so, like, you know, Sunday I preach, Monday I'll do half day with the staff, and then usually Tuesday or Wednesday I'm in. I don't go out. I don't do because I need to recover. It's sort of like having a hangover. And yeah. uh, I'm sorry, you have, you have listeners that have never had a hangover. But it's for those Maybe. who you don't know our listeners. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so for those of us BC, yeah. there you go. Um, BC. It's sort of like the com- It's sort of like a combination between a concussion and a hangover. It's very mm. disorienting. And I journaled over the last couple of years, and I found that um, when I'm overloaded sensory-wise, I haven't created enough margin and space to handle all the business that goes on in my brain. I find myself, it, it throws off my sonar, and so I don't, mm. I can't judge accurate spaces. I find myself hurting myself a lot, mm. you know, taking corners too sharply, banging my shoulder, banging my foot. Uh, I drop things a lot. Um it's more difficult to drive because I can't sense um, distance and speed. And so Mm -hmm. I'm the guy who's in the left-hand turning lane who can turn but doesn't turn. Um, You know that guy who's Mm -hmm. in there and the car's just far away and they won't turn. 
and I wait for the light to turn green because I honestly can't judge how fast the car is coming and I, mm-hmm. it makes me very nervous. And so um, those are some of the things that just happen um, on a day-to-day basis. And so I remember the first article that I wrote that kind of put me um, sort of in a national scene, it went viral. I was writing for a site called The Mighty at the Time, and it was an article called When People Say I Look Tired. Mm. Um, because I used to get that a lot. And so in the article, I say, you know, I, I used to make excuses, but now I don't say, I just say I am tired. And mm-hmm. I'm tired because mm-hmm. I talk, and I talk about, um, they actually even made a video on it that got close to a million views. But it was like, um, I equated it to life on a stage and I talked about how um, I don't get, I didn't get my script, so I don't know my cues, my lighting is bad, the sound is horrible. Um, and I have to step out on the stage and perform every day mm-hmm. under those circumstances. And so I'm not, I don't look tired, I am tired. Right. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's, it can be very draining. Um, and then honestly, another part of it is um, the anxiety, mm-hmm. social anxiety. Um, so I've got a lot better with that but still takes a lot of prep. I do a lot of reconnaissance. So even when we met, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we're going to meet. It's a Starbucks. Okay, I've been there before. I know what the room mm-hmm. looks like. I have to I have to get enough information right? Um, to be able to walk into it with some sense of confidence and comfort. Um, <clears throat> and even knowing what we're going to talk about. Right. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. some of that I've gotten a little bit better with, but you know, that's a challenge. And then there's also... Honestly, because of all that, sometimes it, it's coupled with um, situational depression. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have executive functioning mm-hmm. challenges. And so um, I tell people sequential instructions are difficult, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they have to be done in a certain order. Don't give me more than two at a time because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. my brain is going to reorder it. So I'm, so I'm not the guy you can tell if you're looking for something to go in the room and look in the third drawer on the left and if it's not there then look on the like I you lost me. I can't I can't handle all that. Even when I signing books and people are telling me their name and sometimes people think I'm being funny, I'll ask four or five times, can you spell it again? Because I I have executive functioning challenges. And right. so um while I can be very articulate and, and communicate things, my brain doesn't it's almost like a tinge of this like feel mm-hmm. um, where it, re- it reorders information right. and instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a challenge as well. But I've learned now that I know what that is, I get people around me to help me with those things. Yep. And I just That's focus so on here's the stuff I'm good at and I'm going to spend all my time and energy and money and getting good at those two or three things. And I get people to help me with the other stuff. That's awesome. Wow. So uh, you, you don't know this because you can't see me right now um but as we've been here excuse me talking i've been wiping tears because there are things and i just say this to all the parents out there who have um a child who's been diagnosed with autism listen to uh what dr harwick has said and allow it to give you some insight because there are things dr harwick in all honesty that our son does uh repetitively and that you've really helped me to understand why he does it. Uh, he runs into things. He, he drops things. He asks questions a lot about where we're going. And all of it makes so much sense to hear. You. It's like you're, 
you're saying the things that my son can never communicate to me. And so I just want to thank you for having the courage um, to talk about it. And I want to thank God for um, placing you in our lives and um, just opening yourselves up to, to talk here to us today. And I, I pray that this is also a blessing for others. And I also have to thank my husband because he's not like Pastor Watts, who can read a book. My husband's going to find a man and go sit with the man. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I thank him for that. So as we get ready um, to wrap things up, I just had to tell you that. And I had to thank you for helping me hear my son's voice. Um, uh, that's That really means a whole lot. So literally, God just allowed me to hear my son's voice through you speaking. So um, as we get ready to close... Um, what advice would you give to people who are walking in their journey with a gift that sometimes seems more like a burden, um, and yet they 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 know that God has called them to use this thing, um, and they're feeling discouraged? What advice would you give to them? Hmm. Uh, I think, and um, maybe I'll echo some advice, like over the years, I've find myself in different weeks and seasons, um, mentoring a lot of young adults. Like I have a lot of parents who will um, bring a young adult or teenage children to me, so whether it's um, Skype or whatever. Um, and I remember mentoring a young girl who actually was a daughter of a staff member at my former church who, after hearing my story, her mom realized that's what my daughter's dealing with wow. um, all these years, and we didn't realize it. She was misdiagnosed. Uh, and so she had to write a paper for for college. She's in college now. She's doing well. And I remember telling her, you know, um, at the time, I think it was one in 68. I think those numbers have changed. Um, but I told her, you know, that means if you're in the room with 67 other people, there's at least one thing that you can do that they can't. Mm, come on. Uh, at least one. Uh, and so it's sort of flipping it from the deficiency model um, and saying, what is it that that the way my brain is wired can be an asset um, to the world, can be an asset to my family. And we can find a way to, with, with help and with coaching and with support and with the Holy Spirit, we can find a way to help build a life around that. Um, and so my words to her would be my encouragement everyone else that sometimes uh, in order to make a difference you have to be willing to be different mm. uh, so and good. so I let I let uh, and everybody has their terminology you know whether it's person first identity first for me it was just you know I'm going to stick with this yes. with this moniker I've been given because it has carved out an opportunity yes. for me to say the things that I'm saying and for people to listen um and it just, I just know that, you know, if I'm going to make a difference, I have to be willing to be different. I have to be out front with it mm. and be okay with it. As Paul said, you know, um, he said, now uh, I boast about my weaknesses. Mm. Uh, so that, and I love, not, that's not really the part I enjoy. No. <laughs> nobody wants to talk nobody, about the no. stuff that they, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody likes to talk about the stuff they no. struggle with. Sometimes we don't even want to admit it, do we? Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, interestingly enough, that's the first time that we learn anything about Paul's personal life when he gives us this insight. Wow. 
we know all about his ministry. He never tells us of it. He struggles with, um, and he says, but now I boast about my weaknesses. And the B clause is what jumped off the page for me after I was diagnosed. It was so that the power of Christ can be seen in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that if I have any shot at making a difference, I need the power of Christ to be seen in me. Yes. And so that means that there are going to be times where I have to be out front with my weaknesses and my struggles, mm. my disabilities. Because when you see me at work, you don't see Lamar because you know what I'm up against. Um, in my natural, I don't have what it takes to do what I do. Mm. Wow. Mm. So every time you see me take the stage or preach at a conference or write a book, what you're saying is Christ working through me. Christ. And I believe that. I believe yeah. that. And, yes. I, and that's what I need people to see. I don't need people to see Amen. me. Amen. I need people to see Christ working through me. And so he says, I embrace it because I want people to see Jesus. Yes. Mm. Yes. I, I love it. I, I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, as we, that was our last question, but what we really want you to do is just pray for our listeners out there in podcast land, um, whatever the Lord just puts on your heart, but just so insightful. I, I literally could sit here for hours yeah. with you um, and just listen. But as we get ready to finish up here um, and honor your time, if you would just pray for our, our listeners. Sure. Let's pray. God, we are, um, are so thankful that you are um, a God who is committed to placing um, your image within the design that you have given each one of us as yes. unique individuals. And so, God, I'm thankful for all the listeners, um, and I pray that they would um, be cognizant uh, and also be confident um, that no matter where they um, find themselves in life, whether it's uh, with a disability or having a child or a loved one with a disability, that they can have confidence in the fact that they are still bearers of your image. Yes. And so, God, I pray um, for those who are listening, maybe who are struggling with that, um, that you would strengthen them, that you would wrap them in your loving arms, that you would hold them close to your heart. Um, And even during this time of pandemic, God, where things are changing, I pray, God, that you would just uh, give give your people peace and wisdom uh, and grace for the days ahead. And so um, as we wrap up, God, I pray for the church. I pray that yes, the Jesus. church uh, will rise up and will see the value of every person that you have made in your image and the mm. unique contributions that they can bring to building your kingdom. God, help us to understand um, that the church at best is only half as good as it could be mm. until we start inviting those with disabilities yes, and those the margins in, into the work of building your kingdom. Mm. Bless your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, people in podcast land, we told you this was going to be an electric, amazing, amazing podcast. And and the Lord did not let us down today. Dr. Hardwick, man. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, being open and obedient and and, and saying yes and uh, coming on and really just blessing us. Yeah. But also um, blessing our people and those who will listen to this time and time again in the future. Um, before we, we finally end the, the, the uh, podcast today, can you share with the people, where can they find you? 
um, you know, shit, I mean, give give us not the shameless plug. Give us the full plug. <laughs> Don't for, be yeah, no, no shame. No shameless. Give, give us the full plug for the books and, and all that good stuff, because I know they're going to want to seek yeah. you out. Where do they go? Yeah. So the best way is to go to my website, which is autismpastor.com. Um, and from there, it has all the links to my social media pages. So, um, you know, Twitter is at Autism Pastor, Facebook, have a, uh, my personal page, Lamar Hardwick, and then my, um, professional page, Autism Pastor. Um, Instagram, we have links to all that. Also has links to all, all, all my current books. Um, um, I Am Strong is probably the most famous one. Um, it was a bestseller on Amazon for several, several weeks. So, mm. um. Uh, you can always pick that up on Amazon, anywhere or anywhere that books are sold. Uh, but yeah, if you go to autismpastor.com, that's the best way to find me. It has links to my church, Tri Cities Church. Tri Cities, uh, so shout out. Ever, yeah, shout out to Tri Cities Church in East Point. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you when we can come back together. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, but until then, you can catch us online uh, everywhere. So, awesome. Autismpastor.com. Y'all heard awesome. that autismpastor.com. Y'all go check it out. Get that book, Buy I Am Strong. Books. Check out all the articles. Follow them on all social media outlets. And if you're in East Point, check out Tri-Cities Tri Church. Church. Y'all check them out, man. So with that being said, again, thank you all so much for tuning in to Ed's Life According to Y'all. Y'all know how we do it. Y'all know how we do it. We're going to get down. We're we going to have some more heat and some more great episodes coming at you very soon. So with that being said, Dr. Hardwick, we thank you very much. And um, God bless you all. Peace. Edge life, you're too close to the ledge. We're going to push you forward a few steps ahead. It's that edge life. Oh, got to get it in your head. Baby, welcome to the edge life. You're too close to the ledge. We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead. It's that edge life. Oh, oh, gotta get it in your head. Welcome to the edge life. That edge life. We gon' help you get your head right. Prepare to fight. Pay attention. It ain't easy to comprehend what we speaking at first. If you ain't never had nobody come and speak to your worth, you ain't worthless. Just your purpose is laying dormant. And what we have to offer you may seem a bit foreign. It's important that you get it. Imperative, you feel it. Time to focus on the bigger goals. Mind, body, and spirit. So let's break it down. My people, come gather around. It's time to break free. No longer will we be bound by these generational curses and circumstances. We only moving forward, progressing major advancements. See, nothing that we speak in is facetious. You gotta see yourself the same way the Savior sees us. He came down from his throne room to free us. You, you, you know we had to cap it off with Jesus. Edge life, you're too close to the ledge. We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead. It's that edge life. Oh, gotta get it in your head. Baby, welcome to the edge life. You're too close to the ledge. We gon' push you forward a few steps ahead. It's that edge life. Oh, oh, gotta get it in your head Welcome to the edge life